1: Well, hello, and welcome to another episode of In the Details, a celebration of nuance where each week I queen out on all of the acting choices, micro-moments, and magic in the minutia that make a scene great. My name is Colin Trucker. Has your name been Bonnie Bedelia yet? Well, it is today. Bonnie Bedelia, welcome to this week's episode of In the Details, where we will be talking about—what are we talking about today? We're talking about a whole bunch of things. Good things. Fun things. A whole mishmash of things. But first things first— We're talking about you. Hello. How are you? Thank you for press and play on this episode to find out what I had to prattle on about for whatever period of time this podcast episode lasts. Um, I hope you're well, and I'm so happy you're back. I'm so happy you're here, and I'm so happy I'm here, and I am also so happy that Toni Collette just won Best Actress at the Gotham Independent Film Awards for Hereditary. I can't even talk about it. I can't even talk about it, but I'm gonna because this is a podcast and that's what you do. Um, I am, I mean, guy, ah, the the level of goopage when I read, I just so the the Gotham Independent Film Awards. It's kind of like, I, as far as I understand it, from like the very little I read about it, because I didn't really care about the context. They just wanted to know about Tony Collette. But my understanding is it's kind of like, okay, awards season starting. Here's one. Here's kind of like a you know kick off the race, and you know it's kind of obviously focused on more independent films and so this isn't uh, necessarily going to be like okay here's everyone who's going to be up for the oscar and like does the oscar matter i don't know kind of yeah of course it does it matters in that way that like we like to believe that the oscar is recognizing like the best performance that like oh this was earned and like this is recognition for how hard that person worked or how good that movie was. And often that's not the case. Often there's like amazing performances nobody talks about and you know things that don't get awarded or even nominated. But um the the ones that were nominated for the Gotham Independent Film Award, I uh I was familiar. I had seen none of these movies basically of any of these major categories except Hereditary. Um we'll get to the most important one in a second uh, in terms of Best feature. Uh, I have not seen. The favorite is one I want to see. That's the one with Rachel. Oh, I can't remember. I don't know her last name. Rachel Weiss. Rachel Weiss. One of those. And uh, Emma Stone. And this Olivia Coleman who I knew nothing about. And then I was like, I think I finally was like, okay, let me watch the trailer. I bet I know what she's like. I bet she's like. And I have no idea what I thought. And then I watched the trailer, as I just said. And I. I mean, I couldn't believe it. I was like, "Look, who is this woman? Who is this woman? Where did she come from? Where have you been hiding, Olivia Coleman?" Am I saying her name right? I don't remember. In any event, I um, I do want to see the favorite, mostly because of her, but the other two seem amazing. And uh, first, Reformed, which I think is this movie with uh, Ethan Hawke, and he got he won Best Actor. Spoiler alert! Uh, so it's like, okay, Ethan Hawke. All right, Gattaca. Get up into it, and then there's the rider, which I'm not familiar with. Madeline's Madeline, which I'm not familiar with, and If Beale Street Could Talk, which I have heard of. I don't know why. I feel like there's like good actors in it. I feel like that's where I've heard of it. And actually, I think someone's been nominated from it. Um, we're gonna skip best, doc- uh, Well, best documentary. I'll just say the winner was Won't You Be My Neighbor, which was the Mister Rogers documentary, which was great, which should just be, which should win just because Mister Rogers deserves it and the director for hereditary was nominated for the the bingham ray breakthrough director award uh, as well as jennifer fox who directed that movie the tale on hbo with laura dern about the woman who was kind of like exploring and investigating her like repressed memories of of trauma and it was like oh my god that movie just like fucks with you like totally fucked with me i i was I like, it just like got totally under my skin. So I'm glad she got recognized because it was like, she wrote it. It was her story. Like it's basically, you know, her movie. Uh, So yeah, so she got recognized for director. And so did Boots Riley, who directed Sorry to Bother You, which I heard was amazing. Uh, And Crystal Moselle for Skate Kitchen, which I'm not familiar with. And Bo Burnham, who directed Eighth Grade, which I heard is great and I really want to see. And he won. So congratulations. Um... Let's let's get to the let's get to the actors. Okay, well we'll just quickly jump through best actor because who cares, right? You know, um, I'm nothing to who cares. You know, I just I I'm more interested in best supporting actress or best actress if I don't have best supporting actress to clean out on. So best actor: Adam Driver in Black Klansman, Richard E. Grant in Can You Ever Forgive Me? Ethan Hawke who won for First Reformed, Ben Foster in Leave No Trace, and oh. I always get a name. I'm so, I'm always going to mess up a name. Olivia Coleman is probably not her name. This is probably not how you pronounce LaKeith Stanfield, but if it is, go me in Sorry to Bother You. Uh, and then let's get to the meat of the matter. Best Actress. So I have not seen any of these other ones, as I said, but I've heard of most of them. So Katherine Hahn in Private Life, which is on Netflix, which I think is in my queue or in my, like, recommended and I guess now I'm going to see it because she she got nominated. And I feel like Katherine Hahn is one of those actresses who you kind of see a bunch of stuff. You're like, oh, yeah, yeah, she's good. She's good. And then, like, one day you're like, oh, yeah, she's actually amazing. Where would she been all this time? And you're like, oh, yeah, she's been working this whole time. Like, I I remember her immediately um, – I stumbled on that word. I, am I going to edit that out? I don't think so. I don't feel like editing that much. Uh, I remember – uh, Catherine Hahn immediately, I think of um, Parks and Rec when she played the um, political advisor, Jennifer something. Um, don't remember her last name, but she's she's great. Like, she's just, like, so in her wheelhouse in that role. And uh, I think that she also does uh, apparently great dramatic work. So I think that's where I'll, what I'll see in that movie. But anyway, uh, she got nominated, but she did not win. Uh, so, too, did Regina Hall in Support the Girls, which is like a— I'd heard of this. It's like a um, a day in the life of this manager of a kind of like Hooters type restaurant, and it's supposed to be great. It's supposed to be nuanced as fuck, and she's supposed to be great in it. Uh Let's see. There was also Michelle Pfeiffer in Where is Kira, which I had not heard of, but I, I think Michelle Pfeiffer is great. I think that she can – uh I think she's kind of like a Nicole Kidman. I kind of like forget – that there's something kind of haunting about her. There's something that she can evoke that's sort of like, ooh, you are a you are an interesting witch. I'm into this. So I'm definitely gonna check that out. And then, and I feel like this is like the 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 best actress nomination of the year. This is like the one that like maybe is supposed to win, uh, which is Glenn Close and the Wife, which I haven't seen, but it's like I my understanding is you know Glenn Close has been nominated like seven thousand times and she's never won and I think what I understand about this movie is it's about this like wife who's like not getting recognized that she's actually like the the brilliance behind your like um, award winning author of a husband or something like that in any event I feel like there's some real dramatic like poetic irony here that of course they're gonna give it to her on the wife you know even the picture if you go on the website or. You're not. I mean, if you go all the way to gotham.ifp.org and you look at the list of nominees, like the picture they have of her uh, as the nominee for the wife, like she just it looks like it's Glenn Close at every Oscars award ceremony waiting for her name to not be called. You know what I mean? Like I, it's it's kind of perfect, but it's really just a shot of her in the wife. Um, I guess feeling similarly. Anyway, all that to say that none of those four women who I'm sure are amazing won because Tony GD Collette won for Hereditary. Like, just that—I like, was concerned that I was making too much of it. And I know I'm not, like, the only person talking about how great she is in that, but I just thought maybe— maybe this is just way too much of stuff that I like. And so I'm just like really subjective about it because it's a horror movie. It's a, it's a mother in distress. It's grief. It's lots of crying. It's lots of emotions. It's lots of Tony Collette. Like she's just like, Oh, Oh, you know what else? Oh, speaking of Tony Collette, I recently, uh, I flew to California recently and I watched on the flight there I watched Little Miss Sunshine. No, I have seen Little Miss Sunshine before. I saw it in the theater when it came out. Uh, not that that matters. Hey, I, I saw it in the theater when it came out. Like it doesn't. That doesn't make me cool. I just mean it's a movie that I've I kind of jumped on right away. There's so many of these other movies. It's like where have I? Where have they been all my life? Where have I been all their lives? Where has Olivia Colman been all my life? Who was after Peppermint? These are the questions worth asking. And so I was like, oh, this is an easy, familiar movie. I'll put this on. And it's Toni Collette, it might be nice to kind of see her again. Um, And that movie, oh my goodness, that movie is so good. I think I'm going to do an episode on Little Miss Sunshine because it really is – it, it does so much storytelling in the details, which is the name of this podcast, you know, in the details, the celebration of nuance. Uh, and and I and I hadn't appreciated, like, even in the first, like, 10 minutes of the movie, how much work it does without ever feeling like exposition. And that is so hard. Like, th- they get away with it so seamlessly. I'm just so impressed. And Toni Collette is fantastic in this movie. She's so great at portraying what it's like to just be a mom, you know, in that way of like, not to be a mother or, you know, to be mommy, but to be a mom. And I just, I I love that. I love how accurate it feels. And I like, I mean, the rest of the cast is great. Uh, Greg Kinnear, who I, I then watched Actually, it's so funny. It was a a Greg Kinnear sandwich this trip because I watched as good as it gets on the flight home, which was a red eye on Thanksgiving night, which was the worst experience ever. I don't even want to get into it. But it it wasn't like I've had worse. But, like, I I don't think red eyes are a good idea unless it's like a medical emergency, you know? So – but I did watch as good as it gets, and Greg Kinnear was in that, and I like him. He's—I don't know—he's. Uh, it takes a lot for me to like be interested in a in a male, you know, actor, and in a in interested in a man. Obviously, I'm interested in men, obviously, <laughs> but uh, you know, like obviously, I'm also more drawn to women. That's what we've mostly been talking about for like seventeen episodes. So, I. I fully appreciate what he was doing in this movie. I really, I just like him. I don't know. I just like him. I just think he's great. Uh, Alan Arkin, uh, I think he was nominated for best supporting actor. He is so goddamn good in this movie. He's so funny. Uh, I saw him. We did a, we did a Patreon episode on All Right Mary. We did, uh, Edward Scissorhands, which I hadn't seen in a million years. And I forgot he was in that. And he's great in that. He's just – he's a he's a great actor. And Steve Carell, who I think is probably, like, one of my favorites. I, I could queen out on Steve Carell all day. And I will. There will be things coming up, the Office-related things coming up, little Easter egg breadcrumbs um, that there are going to be, the Office-related episodes coming soon because I – that show is is a study in nuance, um, but anyway, I'm, like, covering 17 topics at once right now. Um, yeah, so he's in it. He's amazing, and then what's his name? Paul Dano's in it in, like, an earlier role, and he's also great, and Abigail Breslin, who's nominated for Best Supporting Actress, is actually fucking awesome. She's—I know I'm not really using any descriptors here. I'm just saying they're great, they're great, they're great, but, like, that was what I came away from this movie feeling was, like, wow— this movie is great. It I uh, it was so much better than I'd appreciated. I had not fully recognized the story that it was telling. You know, like I hadn't really put it together the first time I saw it, and I really appreciated it the second time around. So, like that's a little preview. When I actually talk about Little Miss Sunshine, I'll actually like use details since that's part of the name of this podcast. But anyway, all that to be all that to say, Little Tony Collette uh, wins wins best actress. And, and if this is all she gets the whole award season, I'll take it because at least there was a moment of recognition. And like the, the, I like, obviously it was like, I went on Twitter. I'm like, I need to find my people who else is excited. And it's just like, I think it's kind of like this podcast where it's like people who are like into this. I'm like, Oh, thank God. Here's my people. People who are the, this is the highlight of their day is Tony Collette winning best actress. Like, yes, hereditary is getting recognition. Um, it just doesn't, I don't know. I, I think it's really, uh, I think it's great because I think she works her ass off in that movie. You know, um, obviously I did a whole episode on it, so you should go listen to that. And it is relevant to today's episode because uh, what the main event of, of today's episode is totally related to Hereditary. So we're good. so this is this is a very on-topic Act One gun. I don't know if you need things to be on topic. I don't know why I think there's like a there's a thesis to this. You know, um, I guess I just want to have a sense of. Uh, narrative. I don't know. That being said, I'm now going to talk about something that has nothing to do with Tony Collette or uh, "Don't Go to Sleep," which we're talking about today, or uh, anything else other than the fact that I guess it. I guess that's a lie. No, because I talked about this last week. So um, I obviously last week's episode was all about uh, spooky soundtracks and spooky synths and other soundtrack surprises, which I had so much fun doing that episode because I was just like. I felt like I was just discovering things. I wasn't like pulling things that I already knew. I was like, Oh my God. And then I found this. So, uh, I almost like—it was like I got more out of that episode than maybe you guys did. I don't know. Uh, One of the things I mentioned in that episode is uh, that—is Suspiria and Goblin and the Suspiria soundtrack. And then I mentioned how Amber in Australia pointed out that Goblin was touring, and they were performing the soundtrack of of the original Suspiria live, and that they were going to be in Brooklyn. And it all worked out that they were going to be at a theater ten minutes from my apartment— you know, I was going to be home. It was going to be the day after I got back from, from California. It all worked out perfectly. So I got myself a ticket and I went. And I mean, this is something that I've probably wanted to like, I've had on my list since I was like 16. I mean, it was so surreal and it was like, so just like chill. I was just like, I wasn't losing my mind. I was just like, Oh my God, this is so cool. This is so great that I get to do this. Like, I'm so grateful for this. And, uh, I went alone, which I'm fine with like I guess I could have I could have asked somebody totally but I don't know maybe I needed to go do this you know after so many years of wanting to just by myself and it was in this this it's called the Murmur theater, which is I think just a synagogue in Brooklyn that also has performances uh, and whatnot in any event. Uh, it was a cool space, and I was up in the balcony, and I had a great view. I could see the screen. I could see the band. Um, so I, it was good. I felt like I got a, a good view of everything, and you're not really watching. I mean, I, it's nice to, like, see them play, but I just – it's like, okay, well, let me watch the movie and kind of take in the full experience. So from that point of view, my view, my view is perfect because I didn't have to, like, crane my head up, you know what I mean, or my neck. What do you crane? You crane – anyway, in any event, it's not as comfortable. So – the, it was it was a surreal experience because at first you're kind of like, it, it's, a, it's like slightly disjointed and like the, you know, just like there's the, the audio of the movie versus like this like live performance and it's obviously like a slightly different because it's performed live and it's not from 1977 and once you kind of like get adjusted, like it's just like, you know, I guess maybe that's just how it is and maybe there's just like some adjusting that normally happens once they get going. In any event, it was just so cool. There were so many moments. I think my favorite thing about it. I mean, it was just like there were moments where you you actually kind of forgot that it was live because it just sounded so good. Obviously, there's no singing, there's no vocals, so there's not any of that kind of like difference between hearing recorded vocals and live. But uh, yeah, it was like it it sounded incredible. It was like there was. Um, you know there were like the synths and keyboard and there was someone on guitar and there was someone on the oh what is it called the bazooki is that what it is oh i'm going to google it while i'm sitting here in front of this computer yeah i think i'm probably pronouncing it wrong but you know what i'm talking about it's that like guitar thing oh no i pronounced it correctly why do i always think i pronounce things incorrectly i'm on this um and and then there was a guy on the drums and i think my favorite part was that there were a couple scenes and particularly at the end, I think as we discussed last week, music is not my forte, uh, but it was, uh, in any event, it was a percussion situation, and it just like took over. And you you might think, oh, some of the nuances of the other instruments might be getting a little bit lost, but this was so cool. This was like a reason to see this live, was like the things that they could do differently live was just like creating this like, it was just like these waves of of, of like rushing, whooshing, snary drum sounds. Oh man, I wish I had like figured out how to talk about this before I recorded. In any event, it was, it was so cool, and it just was so over like not overwhelming, but just it was just like waves coming over you, and it matched the movie so well because the movie is so over the top. Like the visuals, I mean, it was like this remastered version, and. Typically, like I, I think the only other time that really meant anything to me was when I watched Texas Chainsaw Massacre and I was like, holy shit, this movie looks amazing. But then it was a, you know, remastered version of Suspiria, which is a visually stunning movie, obviously. And so uh, it just looked even better. I mean, it's just all of it, everything was enhanced. And it was, yeah, I mean, it was also there's like this feeling of like Suspiria fever, you know, just like of the new movie, the new one coming out. And I don't know, it just, uh, it's fun to see this kind of, like, celebration of something, uh, I don't know, that I I've, I remember kind of loving as a kid and just being this, like, 16-year-old in New Jersey listening to Goblin on my, like, Walkman disc player on the bus, you know? Like, it's so weird that then there I was in this theater full of people who were just, like, getting their fucking lives. And it was a very um, – I mean, not that I was really analyzing or not that it mattered, but as far as I could tell, like, the demographic was – was pretty heterosexual um very obviously very masculine but like lots of women I take that back I just like obviously because it, it was in particular I was up so I was up on the balcony and there was two couples in front of me it was it was almost like a cliche of like guys who were into horror movies like they both had like you know noticeable facial hair and like beanie hats and jean jackets and one of them. One of them was like some like death metal band, and the other one, it was like some custom jean jacket with like an with like a poster print from of Driller Killer on the back. And I, and their girlfriends were like totally into it. They weren't like being dragged along. Like all four of them were equally excited into this, and so it was fun to kind of see these couples just like queening out together. It was really sweet, uh, and I I did not sit there and feel like I was just like this weird, lonely loser behind them at all. No, I didn't. I did not feel that way. I was fine. Um, Though, we like, sitting there alone, I wondered if people were like, who's... No, no one was wondering. We're not even going to, like, pursue that thought. No. Moving on. Okay. So let's get to the main event. I mentioned this, I think, last episode. The 1982 TV movie, Don't Go to Sleep, starring Valerie Harper, Dennis Weaver... Ruth Gordon, Oliver Robbins from Poltergeist, uh, and oh, who? What is the little girl's name? Oh, I should have pulled up the IMDb before I started all this. The little girl, uh, the the daughter, she's like stopped acting, or I don't know what, but she is, she's a really good little actress. I I need to find her. I need. She's she's like my own personal Swan Bruner. Y'all know about Swan Brunner, you know, the, like, the HBO documentary about the child beauty pageant uh, kids and, and, you know, sort of following different stories. And one of them was this little girl named Swan Bruner in Florida with her, like, you know, ashtray of a mother. And it it was uh, this whole, oh, my God. Uh, What's it called? Living Dolls? Is that Living Dolls? Oh, my God. I need to do an episode on that. Swan Bruner. What a... What a character. Anyway, I there's so many tangents. What was the little girl's name? Oh her name was Mary. Oh, her name was Mary. Played by Robin Ignico. She doesn't even have a picture on IMDb. Let's click on this, Robin. What did why did you stop? Oh, she was an Annie. Ah. What was she an Annie? She was not Annie. She was Duffy. So she was in one episode of a TV show called Simon and Simon, which I think probably didn't last many more simons beyond that uh she and then yeah then she was she was in don't go to sleep she was in cry for the strangers which i think is another creepy tv movie from the same year boy she was just like crapping them out and then oh she was on a couple episodes of trapper john md which i know nothing about all right so here's the weird thing a spotty little career in mostly tv stuff uh through 1987 and then nothing and then in 2015 there's a movie called no solicitors and she is credited as burglar what's going on how is this possible oh it's a horror movie oh Louis cutterman is a well-respected brain surgeon and happily married with two beautiful children who run the family business They are model citizens within the community. A simple visit. Oh, my goodness. This description is telling me nothing, and I have to clip to read the full summary? This is long. Oh. When the solicitor finds a... Oh. Oh. Oh, no. Oh, we're not going to keep reading this. This gets gross. Okay. So I have a feeling that, that that's a different robin. In any event, I don't know what happened to her, but she's great in this movie. Here's the thing: I don't want to ruin the whole movie for you, and we're not going to go into the whole thing because I just want to focus on uh, just one scene because that's kind of what we do here and in the details, the celebration of nuance. It's not, but I kind of try to do that as much as possible. It's just like stick to one scene because ah, uh, I I don't uh, this scene. Okay, so okay, let me set up the movie as much so that you so that you know what's going on. So the movie is about this family that moves to this new house and it is uh, a few months it's sometime after a terrible family tragedy a car accident in which their oldest daughter Jennifer was killed and so that leaves Laura played by Valerie Harper and Philip played by Dennis Weaver and their two kids Mary as we just talked about Miss Robin Mysterious Robin where in the world is Robin Agnico and Oliver Robbins their son Kevin and of course Grandma Ruth Gordon uh, kind of in in the, the wake of grief. And so we're starting a movie with a family that has already experienced tragedy, that is in the sort of like hazy post-months of tragedy of a family death, very similar to how Hereditary quickly kicks off with the grandmother dying. And so there's that right away of like, okay, these people are already, you know, on on loose legs, you know what I mean? Like this is, I don't think that's the expression, but I'm using that. So then Mary starts getting visits from Jennifer at night and shit starts to go down. Let's just say that without telling you everything that's gonna happen in this movie. So, uh, yeah, and much like Hereditary, don't go to sleep. Either you would say they don't pull any punches or they totally pull some punches. But in any event, things happen that you you don't think a movie's gonna do. Especially a TV movie. Like, this is – I don't want to say it's a mean-spirited movie, but it's willing to um, its willing to kind of veer off of a safe narrative and do things that you think, oh, a TV movie would never – that would never happen. And so I do have to ruin this movie slightly. I have to tell you about two of the characters' uh, fates because it, it kind of – It's, you just, I I can't help it. I'm sorry. If you don't want this spoiled, you can stop here. You can go watch the movie. You can come back. I think a lot of, a lot of what fascinates me about movies like this is not so much what happens, but like how they do it, you know, like how they show it, like the technique and the nuances and the details. And so that's kind of like, the spoilers are kind of like secondary, you know, the narrative is secondary to like the, the art of how they constructed it. You know what I mean? Um, Not that the story isn't strong. It's just kind of like what I queen out on. So Uh, essentially, uh, one by one, the family starts to follow in Jennifer's footsteps, uh, starting first with the poor grandmother played by Ruth Gordon. And uh, what also kind of is happening in this movie is an unraveling of, of... what led to this car accident? One of the elements of that led to this car accident, of course, is that the family was visiting the grandmother before, and she had kind of insisted, you know, have one more drink. You know, oh, come on, stay, have one more. And so, you know, Philip was a little bit, you know, a little bit loosey-goosey behind the wheel, which didn't help matters. And so um, there's this confrontation that Philip and Bernice— Grandma have because, of course, Philip has developed a drinking problem after the accident, and Bernice is kind of asking him, oh, well, you know, how many of those have you had? And then he's like, oh, who are you to question me? You're the one who was saying, no, have one more, and and kind of implying that that the car accident was her fault.
0: What are you trying to tell me, Bernice?
2: you trying to tell me something? Nothing, just you know how you get when you drink martinis. I don't know how I get. Why don't you tell me, huh? I'd like to know. Tell me, how do I get? You no. Know. Oh, I know, all right. I know. And who was it that kept pushing martinis in my hand, huh? Who was it that wouldn't let us go earlier when everybody was all right, huh? Who was that? Who was it that kept saying, oh, come on, Phil. Just one more, have one more. Just one for the road. Who was that?
0: Where are you going, Bernice? Come on, Bernice, Don't be a party pooper. Just one more. Why
1: don't you have one for the road? Because ah! you know, Bernice just kind of like, she just turns and walks away. Like she's, she won't even engage with him as he's yelling at her. And there's this amazing way that she like walks away and she like pads away in these little like, these little pants. Like she the, she she's just this tiny little woman. She's not frail. And that's like, I feel like worth noting As I always think of Ruth Gordon as like, she's small, but like, she's a tough lady you know what i mean but in this scene she she appears so frail and part of it is like she's much older of course and uh she climbs the stairs and it's the way that she like holds the banister and and moves at this kind of i don't know labored sort of pace like you can kind of see the emotions taking over her as she's uh, climbing the stairs to her room, and as she gets getting closer to walk into her room, kind of walking towards the camera, we're seeing her face start to break. And it's like it's so rare to see like Ruth Gordon, like in a moment of weakness, you know what I mean? And then she looks over at this picture of Jennifer that she has on her dresser. was my fault.
2: It wasn't my
1: fault. It was my fault. Like just the way that she like the, the nuance or the way that she delivers that line, I I'm just obsessed with. It's just she finds this like depth in there that actresses like her would do. You know, it, it, it's like something that that Geraldine Page or or you know Sandy Dennis would do. Is they find this like weird way of doing it you know um and so not long after that of course uh grandma dies of a heart attack um which involves an iguana which i'll save you you can you can watch all that yourself so unfortunately ruth gordon does exit the movie at some point but you when you see a movie like this and there's a grandma you're like chances are grandma's not going to get through this it's kind of like i don't like any time the dog dies or the cat gets hurt or anything like that like I should be bookmarking, does the dog die.com, you know, but I also feel like does grandma die.com. It's basically does, does grandma die.com is just a website that just says yes. <laughs> Cause grandma almost always dies. Uh, I know there's exceptions, um, in any event. So then after Bernice's, dis- you know, disposal, <laughs> the next to go, unfortunately is poor little Kevin. Poor little Oliver Robbins didn't fare any better as a freeling in the in Poltergeist. Well, he did because he didn't die. But in this one, uh, his he uh, he goes up on the roof to get his frisbee, which of course Mary threw up there. Um, you're like Mary, why did Mary do that? Well, you'll have to see the movie to find out. In any event, Kevin slips and falls, and it's implied by a scene that's happening simultaneously of. Uh, Laura in the kitchen of her dropping a watermelon as it like splits on the floor. You're like, Oh, that was Kevin. And I was like, shocked. I did not think that Kevin would get killed. I just, I, um, whoa, whoa, TV movie. But what that inspired is, is this scene. That I have, I have rambled on and on. And we finally got into the scene. Now, here's the thing. I do really think you need to see this before. I, I, I think I'm going to do my best to talk about it. and I'm going to play it. You're going to hear it. But there's so many nuances to kind of the facial expressions and whatnot that I think are worth seeing. So here's your options. In the, in the description for this episode, I've linked to a YouTube, uh, to the whole movie actually on YouTube. But I've linked it so that like it starts right at the beginning of the scene. So you can just watch the scene. You don't really need to watch the rest of the movie, um, you know, to kind of, we're going to talk about it here. Um, or you can go watch the whole movie or you've already seen it. And you're like, girl, get into it. You know, like, let's talk about it. You've taken this long. And I'm like, I get it. I get it. So that being said, here's what happens. So Philip is, he, he's sauced. He's just, Totally sauced. And he is in Kevin's room, and he is trying to figure out what Kevin's iguana, Ed, the iguana that scared Bernice to death, what he eats. He's trying to get him to eat. And he's like, oh, come on, buddy. I'm just trying to get you to eat. And, you know, failing miserably, I think he throws some, like, iceberg lettuce in there. I'm like, well, girl, get some romaine. They figured out. that Now, who knows when you're listening to this episode. But as I'm recording this, they've discovered that, you know— uh, the, the great, the great Romaine crisis in the United States has been localized to like a couple areas of California. So stop burning your Romaine. Um, but anyway, uh, then Laura comes in and I'm going to play the scene here so you can hear it through, but I just kind of like set it up and then we'll kind of go back and talk about parts of it, but just to kind of set it up, you know, he's, he's over by the iguana tank and, and she's kind of behind him and to the right at the door of the room. So, uh, that's kind of like the setup, and and throughout the scene as she gets kind of like heated, she does kind of pace a little bit, but pretty much stays on that side of the room, and he stays on his side of the room, and, uh, yeah. I think the best thing to do is to just listen to this listen to this argument, listen to this amazing scene, and then we're gonna go back and talk about some of my favorite nuances. Because oh, okay, let me, I need to shut up and let you hear this. Go for it. I don't
0: know what he eats.
2: Gonna die if he doesn't eat. Phil. My son's pet. I... I didn't even bother to find out what the damn thing is. Look, don't worry. I'll take him to the pet shop tomorrow morning and they'll find him. No, 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 honey, you're not gonna do that. This is my son's pet. I'm gonna keep him. Well, not right, Ed. Not right, old boy. Hmm? I don't know what he was doing up on the roof anyway. I told him a hundred times. He used to climb on the roof when I was a kid, but I never fell off. I should have never give him a frisbee. Bill, please stop. I don't drink. You are drinking too much, Philip. Really? Yes, really. That's right, I am. And oh, why shouldn't I? Huh? I've got to work. No, I've got to try to keep everything. <laughs> I don't understand it. I really don't. I, I can't take it anymore. I can't. You can't take it anymore. Neither can I. All of this is not just happening to you, Philip. Oh, come on. I don't on, know what honey. he was doing on the roof. He was in the kitchen not two minutes before taking a cookie. Oh, my mother and two of my children have died this year and honey, one year. Honey, and what do I get from you, this honey, you weeping, drunk bit? It is indulgent, Philip. And don't lean on me. I can't comfort you now. I can't do everything. I I'm not a rock. I cannot handle every detail. Oh wait, 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 wait a minute. What what details are you talking about? Everything! Well, I'm asking All of that, Philip! The funeral details! Up all now, hold days. it. Now, wait a minute. Taking the call call it. goodwill. Now, now just and a minute. You hold it right there. I wanted to make that call, if you will remember. Did you? No, no, because you wouldn't let me. If I don't do it, it doesn't get done. That's the truth. I don't want to see people staring at me sympathetically and they're keeping their distance because maybe I'm contagious. I can't believe what I'm hearing. I can't. But I'm going to have to do it because you can't take it. No! No, you do it! You, you do it! You do it this time, Philip! You bag up his little shirts and pants and his okay. rocket ship! Okay. okay, I'll do it. I'll do it! Oh. I will do it. I will do it right now.
1: okay right that was a lot that was a lot to take in let's catch our breath right so i could call this an act two gun once we're done talking about this obviously we have to talk about hereditary and we have to talk about that scene i played it last week i'm gonna play it again i just this this scene and some of the and i i would say that that dinner table argument in hereditary for me are just like these cousins of just like whoa whoa shit got real you know so okay so let's start so in the beginning dennis weaver really kind of owns like the the first little part of this and you know he's just like almost on the edge of getting sloppy you know and I love that part where he just, like, breaks down in the middle of what he's saying. Like, you know, I love talking through tears. And it's very specific. Like, you, you have to do it, I think. I mean, what do I know? But in my sense as an actor is you have to do that in a way that, like, you have to have no vanity, you know, I think, right? Because, like, it's such a potentially ugly moment. And you have to be willing to be a Viola Davis and let the boogers out, you know? And there's going to be a whole episode on that, too. Bookmark that. Um, and so, like, I think that Dennis Weaver does a great job of breaking down in a way that, like, doesn't retain any sort of vanity or, like, masculinity or anything like that. Like, it it, it really is a crumpling. And it's it's really cool. It's really, um, I don't know, very, very affecting to watch. Like, I, I, again, it's so rare that, like, a, a man can evoke that kind of empathy for me. But I totally felt it. But then like oh hurricane valerie starts <laughs> and and we go into this this next part
2: i can't take it anymore can't. you can't take it neither can i all of this is not just happening to you philip oh come on i don't buddy. know what he was hey. doing on the roof he was in that kitchen not two minutes before taking a cookie
1: now that whole taking a cookie line, I think could have read so poorly. I think that that could have been too heavy or like too on the nose. But it's it's Valerie Harper's kind of like she finds this this relatable. Like she sounds like a mom. Like she's like I, I just to like pause for one second because this is like Rhoda. This is someone that like we typically know as a comedic actress and who is so fucking funny and is so charming and i think it's such a pleasant surprise to see how good she is at like going to such dramatic depths and i think this next part it's like where i feel like laura you can feel like some valve kind of popping open and she just like every like all of the next you know all of the rest of this just starts coming out like like steam
2: (laughs) oh my mother and two of my children have died this year and honey, one year. Honey, and you're... what do I get from you, this honey, you weeping, you... drunk bitch? It is indulgent, fella. And don't lean on me. I can't comfort you now. I can't do everything. I... I'm i not a rock. I cannot handle every detail. Oh, wait, 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 wait a minute. What, what details are you talking about? Everything.
1: Okay, first of all, Dennis Weaver, what I love about him in this moment is there's this sense that he's very present. I don't know, it's a lot of, it's the editing, it's the acting. He feels very engaged in the argument in a way that, like, you remember, because, like, she's just stealing the show. And then you, like, remember that he's, like, there the whole time absorbing this. But... You know, I love, and, it, and there's more coming, the, the the aria of this, you know, like it just gets, it gets bigger and it gets more strained at points and it gets pitchy at little points and that everything like, oh, anytime someone does something like that, that immediately I think of. I think of Sissy Spacek in in the bedroom in that scene in the kitchen where she's like you let him get away with everything and she slams the dish. Oh, oh my god, we have to do an episode on that. Jesus Christ. Okay, so then like let's let's get on topic. Then this just like goes into my favorite part. Here we go.
2: The funeral details. Up all now hold things. it. Now wait a minute. Taking the call it now, now, now just a minute. You hold it right there. I wanted to make that call if you will remember. Did you No, no, because you wouldn't let me. If I don't do it, it doesn't get done. That's the truth. I wanna see people staring at me sympathetically and they're keeping their distance because maybe I'm contagious. I
1: can't believe what I'm hearing.
2: I can't. But I'm gonna
0: have to do it! Because you can't take it!
1: Okay. So the, if I don't do it, it doesn't get done. There's another like peak. And then what I love about this is then the next part where she says, that's the truth. The camera's not on her. The camera's on him turning away. And like, then the next line after that, the camera's not on her. And I think that is so cool that like that dynamic of, of hearing an argument. It's almost like documentary style. When this happened in network where there's a, there's a point where the camera is not on Louise played by Beatrice Strait, who won the Oscar for Best Supporting Actress in 1977. Not sure if you're familiar. I did a whole episode on it. Gave her Beatrice Strait. Um, like, there's a moment where the camera is not on her where she, when she's just going off, and that kind of drived me nuts. Drived me? That kind of. I was trying to say drives and drove. That kind of drove me nuts because I was like, oh, show me Beatrice Strait. But in this moment, it was such an interesting economy to kind of pull away from her uh, because it was just building up so much to kind of see what would happen if we were... With him hearing it, you know, uh, I don't know. I don't know if that how intentional that was, but that was the effect I got. But the cherry on the Sunday, the the pitch perfect delivery. Honestly, in my in my humblest of opinions,
2: but I'm gonna have to do it because you can't take it.
1: Like she has completely encapsulated being entirely fed up this is years of fed up this is like i this is an issue i have dealt with with you long before this hit the fan you know and now it's just gotten worse and oh god i just love that and then of course she just kind of like breaks down and she's like i'm just i'm not gonna do it i'm not gonna do it and it's an interesting um i think this is a very realistic way that fights end sometimes
2: no no you do it You, you do it. You do it this time, Philip. You bag up his little shirts and pants and his rocket ship. Okay. Okay, I'll do it. I'll do it. I will do it. I will do it right now.
1: the sort of minor silver lining on this rain cloud is that they do end up finding the iguana food in the closet. So at least they can feed the iguana. They can keep one thing alive, you know, Uh, which is, it's a mean thing to say, but in any event, I, you know, that, I I feel like Marco has been, I think he's probably been meowing probably this whole episode. If not, he's doing it. He just recently, he just did. It's this thing. It's like, he knows when I'm recording and he gets, he gets like this. I just thought I should mention it. So, Obviously, as I mentioned before, all of this is vaguely reminiscent of Hereditary and some of the notes that it hits. And so I think purely because maybe you didn't listen to last week's episode. And in that case, come on, go listen to it. What are you doing? Um, This is the dinner table scene from Hereditary where I think that uh, the way that she goes, um, because nobody takes any responsibility for anything they've done, um, is is pretty much – On par with, but I'm gonna have to do it because you can't take it. So here is that amazing moment.
0: Don't you swear at me, you little shit! Don't you ever raise your voice at me! I am your mother! Do you understand? All I do is worry and slave and defend you, and all I get back is that fucking face on your face! So full of disdain and resentment and always so annoyed. Well, now your sister is dead. And I know you miss her. And I know it was an accident. And I know you're in pain. And I wish I could take that away for you. I wish I could shield you from the knowledge that you did what you did. But your sister is dead. She is gone forever. And what a waste. If it could have maybe brought us together or something. If you could have just said, I'm sorry, or faced up to what happened, maybe then we could do something with this, but you can't take responsibility for anything. So now I can't accept, and I can't forgive, because, because nobody admits anything they've done.
1: Anyway, go watch this movie. Go watch Hereditary. Go watch it again. I still haven't seen the whole thing again. I've only watched parts of it again, because that movie, oh, that movie just burrowed under my skin. Um. And uh, expect more episodes where I am just, like, tearing apart a fight between two people in all the little minor details because that is, like, my favorite thing is just, like, the nuances of fighting. What are your favorite, like, arguments and fight scenes? Not so much, like, physical violence. There, If there's some, whatever, but I'm talking about, like, uh, you know, people yelling at each other, preferably a woman or two women. Let there be a woman in the room somehow. Um, what fight scenes do you want to hear me just, like, queen out about what fight scenes do you want to hear me queen out about marco the one we're about to have when i finished recording if you want to do that you know how you can do that you can just drop me an email at in the details pod at gmail.com you can also uh, follow me on twitter at colin drucker and you could send me a dm there uh you could of course head over to itunes you could leave me a five star rating you could leave me a positive review you could just make my goddamn year uh as if tony collette winning best actress at the gotham independent film awards wasn't enough uh, next week, I believe, next week might be my episode with my guest. So um, I, it's probably next week. If it, if that is not next week, it'll be the week after, and next week will be something else really fun um, and maybe less spooky. I don't know. I'm just kind of following my heart. Oh, before I go, um, stop the music, stop the music. Before I forget, my favorite new podcast, Gaylords of Darkness, did a whole episode where they talked about – Blood Rage, which I talked about last week, for an extensive period of time, and queened out about it. You should totally go listen. I, like, I'm just, I just keep giving them press because they're just so goddamn funny, and so um, go tell them Large Marge sent you, you know? Anyway, put the music back on. Okay, anyway, uh, I think that's all for now, so uh, yeah, thank you so much for joining me this week for uh, another little celebration of all of the acting choices. Micro Moments, and Magic in the Minutia in the details. See you next week. Bye.